Romans chapter 2. You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself, for you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they, had, they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God through Christ Jesus will judge everyone's secret life. You who call yourself Jews are relying on God's law, and you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants, you know what is right, because you have been taught his law. You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and light for people who are lost in darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God, for you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but you do use items stolen from pagan temples. You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. The Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law but don't obey it. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. A true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. 
Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your provision. Lord, we thank you for your care for us. We thank you for your love for us and your grace. Lord, I ask that you would be uh, so evident to us today that you would come close. Lord, that we would feel your presence in this room. Lord, that those who need it, thinking of Ashley in this moment, Lord, that they would be able to feel your presence so closely to them right now. Lord, help us to apply these truths to our hearts today and go with us as we leave here. In your name we pray. The passage this morning is long. We will not get to the end of it in this session. The reason why I had Pastor Steve read the whole chapter is because it demands to be read. Read from the fact that you just can't take portions of it. You have to look at the whole prospect of what the Apostle Paul is saying. Before we get to this particular chapter in um, Romans, I want us to turn back a few books to the book of John. I think prior to Romans chapter 2, we need to go to John chapter 3 for some encouragement. We all know in John chapter 3 and verse 16, I'm sure we've commended it to our hearts, but I want to begin in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Turn to chapter five, please, of John. Verse 24. Truly I tell you, anyone who hears the word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. And truly I tell you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as a father has life in himself, so also he has granted to the son to have life in himself. And he has granted him the right to pass judgment 
because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, because a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but to those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of condemnation. I cannot do anything of my own. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Why go to John and and then try to come back to Romans chapter 2 and make some kind of sense of what is going on here? The first verse of the chapter draws our attention to a fictitious individual. For Paul says that every one of you, or you, old man, you may have in your translation. He's not specific. He's not naming individuals. He is not highlighting anyone in any kind of realm of life. He is making a generalized statement, and there's a caution. For he says, you who judge is without excuse. That sort of bristles on our hairs on the back of our necks, doesn't it? Because for such a long time in Christendom, we have been quoted Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, where it says, Judge not lest you be judged. We don't want to get overly involved in an individual's life and judge them because we don't want them to think that we're mightier than them or holier than them or more righteous than them. And so we, we leave things alone. But at the same time, the scriptures tells us there are times that we are supposed to judge. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 20, he says, judge all things and strive for that which is good. John writes for us in 1 John, specifically in, in chapter 3 where he says, test the spirits to see if they are from God. And the one that really causes us to coil back into our proverbial righteousness is what Paul writes for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Specifically in dealing with the communion service, it says, let a man examine himself for the purpose that we don't take of the elements in an unworthy manner. So we find ourselves in a dichotomy, don't we? In one moment, we ought to be careful how we judge, and then in the next moment, we are to judge. I don't know if, if particular that's the, the text or the meaning of this text because it's not about us. For it highlights six characteristics of God's judgment. What does God base his judgment upon is the question that Paul is about to answer. We dare probably won't even get through the first one. 
this morning, which alleviates a lot of work for my secretary because she won't have to wait for my study guide, nor will she have to wait for my title, the sermon. But the first one is exemplary. I think for us to answer the question of who is Paul writing to, the chapter 2 divides it from verse 1 to 16, and then verse 17 to the end of the chapter, two different groups of people. The first group would be recognized as being self-righteous. You remember in chapter 1, Paul writes concerning the unrighteous. Remember verse 18. He says they squelch the truth in their unrighteousness. And so we have this diatribe, if you will, this extended description of individuals who have no regard for the gospel of Jesus Christ at all. They live unto themselves in order to please themselves. And it capsulizes, if you will, it, it comes to a head in verse 32 of chapter 2 where it says, even those who know the judgment of God, yet they themselves even applaud those who do such things. And in chapter 2, now it's from 1 to 16, it deals with the self-righteous. Now, I've got to take you back a few weeks. When we did the introduction to the book of Romans, you have to remember what is going on in these pages. The church at Rome was not begun by the Gentiles. It was begun by the Jews. For you go to the book of Acts, chapter 2, and Jews from all over the world are in Jerusalem for the feast. It is there that Peter preaches his magnificent sermon, and thousands come to trust Christ that day. Well, those group of Jews dispersed and went back home. Some of the ones that were there went back to Rome. So the church in Rome was begun by the Jews. And as the Jews began to spread the gospel, Gentiles then came to know and understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was under one of the Caesars, Claudius, that the Jews were expelled from Rome. Because you got those Jews who claim the name of Jesus Christ, and you got those Jews who hold to the law of Moses, and they are at odds with each other. And Claudius says, I've had enough. Get out. All of you, get out. And that's why Paul, in Acts chapter 16, comes across Ananias and Sapphira. Not the same group, not the same two in Acts chapter 4. No, no. these are Jews from Rome who have been now transported, if you will, 
to the city of Corinth. And Paul meets him there. And he hears of the strife that's going on in Rome. After Claudius, then Nero comes on the scene. Now, at the beginning of Nero's realm, his reign, he was a good guy. He recognized the fact that the Jews have left and so have income for the state. And so he calls them back to come back. So the church at Rome started with Jews. Then it was Jews and Gentiles. Then it became Gentiles And now the Jews are coming back, and the Gentiles don't like it. That's the strife. The Gentiles are saying to the Jews, the reason you were expelled from Rome is that you weren't living according to the way we live. Oh, now we understand what Paul is saying. You that are judging, you're doing the same things that you are condemning others that are doing. The self-righteous. Now, before we jump off of our high and mighty horses, we got to remember something. We can do the same thing. In fact, if, if I was to ask you to raise your hand, if you've ever misjudged somebody, I would dare say there'd be a few. I've done that myself. I did that when my daughter Amanda, when, when we were at a Christian conference, and for some reason my, my brother-in-law thought I could sing a few things, and so he invited me to come to be the week of the soloist for the week. And my daughter Amanda, all our family was together, and, and here my, my daughter Amanda, a very friendly young lady, be made friends of some males who were there. I told my brother-in-law that next camp I come to, let's make sure they're all females. <laughs> well, this young individual was out back and was not interested in what was going on in the tabernacle at all. In fact, mocking, if you will. And my daughter sat next to him. After the service was over, my daughter and I, we had a discussion. And I remember how badly I blew it. Do you know what it's like to eat crow? There's a few squirrels in my backyard I wouldn't mind eating, but to eat crow is difficult. I made a judgment that was false. I had to apologize to my daughter, and then the next morning I had to seek out a young man and apologize to him. I was condemning someone for most likely things that I've done myself. That's what Paul is talking about. And so the the first characteristic, (laughs) if I get to your notes, I know you just can't wait to write something. 
Maybe husbands, you've already written, honey, I love you, what's for dinner? I don't know. But the first characteristic of God's judgment is this. He judges in truth. That's verses 2 through 4. He judges by truth. One commentator literally said, maybe not so much that he judges according to only the scriptures, but the fact of it is is that God knows the facts. He knows everything. He is an omnipresent, omnipotent, all-knowing one who judges by truth. There's no falseness in him. In fact, John writes for us in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, these things we declare to you that in him is no darkness at all. You can't bribe God. You can't have him turn his head away from the situation, almost like, God, don't watch this. I was sharing with individuals who asked about our vacation of two weeks. And I said, I enjoyed the things we wanted to see. And I did not like the things we did not want to see. Do not, mark this down on your notes, do not go through Atlanta, Georgia at 4.30 in the afternoon. With Rev Doug as our off as a license plate, that hinders me from doing what I wanted to do. <laughs> Saddening. Eight lanes of nonsense. And not only that, a construction truck lost a ladder that went across three lanes. I happen to be in one of the lanes. You can't stop. Hit that thing head on. And I look in my mirror and so did 25 other people. And I said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Oh, man. We can lose our cool. It's almost like Chuck Swindoll when he was speaking at a camp in California. A gentleman came to him and said, oh, Dr. Swindoll, I've waited so long for this week. I'm going to eat up everything you have to say. And Swindoll thanked him. Sunday night, the man was sitting in the front row and the man started nodding off. Swindoll figured that he'd had a long drive and was probably tired. Tuesday night, the man started nodding off. Wednesday night, the man nodded again, and Swindoll was now getting a little upset. Here, this man sat on the front row, sleeping away as a, as a preacher who had prepared well for this ministry opportunity. It didn't feel good to see someone sleeping on him. He was getting frustrated with this guy. Thursday night, the man nodded and slept again. 
On Friday morning, the lady who was sitting next to him came to Swindoll and said, I want to thank you for the ministry this week. Oh, and by the way, I'm sorry about my husband sleeping on you. He has two weeks to live. He has terminal cancer, and the doctors have just given him a couple of weeks to live. And when we talked about what he wanted to do before he died, he said, I want to go here, Chuck Swindoll. But you see, Dr. Swindoll, the doctors gave him medicine to keep away the pain, and the medicine makes him sleep. I wanted to apologize to you that he has been sleeping. But I wanted you to know that you made this the best week of the last part of his life. Chuck Swindoll later said he could have crawled under a rock because he had made a judgment and without any investigation, he reacted. God doesn't need to investigate. He already knows. And as the Apostle Paul is writing this Second chapter, almost in a scathing way, he's saying, God's judgment is in truth. He judges righteously because that's who he is. He cannot judge any other way. And I also believe it's a, a reminder of us as believer people don't jump to conclusions. We don't know all the circumstances. Maybe instead of passing judgment, maybe what we should do is pass them to the throne of God and pray for them. Would you say amen to that? Let's pray. Father, it's difficult to hear of your judgment. Oh, we know that it's in truth. But there's a whole world out there that's lost. A whole world that is reacting in the only way they know how to react because they don't know you. Unfortunately, as the scriptures we read at the beginning, we're reminded that if they don't know you, then they are in the midst of your wrath and your condemnation. Oh, Father, may we, may we take a few steps back from a judgment and focus on the reasons that would give us compassion to pray and also the strength to witness. Lord, our journey in chapter two is we haven't even rounded the first corner yet. And yet we are faced with the truth that we need to be careful. We need to be careful that we would judge individuals according to truth and not jump to conclusions. I thank you, Lord, that you judge in truth. You know our hearts. 
You know our minds. You know everything there is to know about us. And that maybe by the presence of your Holy Spirit, the same power that lives in us, you may even bring conviction to our souls. And I thank you for this morning and for the attention of these people. I love them. And I pray, God, your best for them. But also, I pray, oh God, that we as a community would have compassion for the lost in the surrounding area. We bless your name. And we praise you in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.